It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for subscribing to the podcast. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, what are you waiting for? I'm actually drinking right now a cup of coffee and uh, from a mug that you can get with the logo of the show on it. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com. That's how you subscribe. And it's also uh, where you will find the links to get the merchandise and exclusive content by becoming a patron like Lisa and Jolene, WC, Caddy, David, Mark, Lair, Krista, Sam, Dustin, Deborah, thanks so much for becoming patrons of the show, keeping the show going, keeping us on the air, keeping my rent paid. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and uh, so let's see. Uh, the reason I've been drinking coffee is I've been I got a lot of meetings I'm covering. I'm uh, I'm watching press conferences. I just watched a general assembly meeting for about an hour uh, yeah, hour and a half uh, on the release of prisoners. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the For the People Act, which who could be opposed to the For the People Act? It's, after all, for the people. It says it right in the name. It's like Antifa. You can't be against Antifa because they're against fascism. And if you're against them, then that means you're a fascist, right? That's obviously how all of this works. So H.R. 1, this is a bill that Democrats pushed through the House of Representatives by a party line vote. Um, and uh, it's the For the People Act. And it's just a complete overhaul and remaking of our entire election system. <laughs> what could go wrong? I mean, of all the types of legislation that you want to pass along a bi or a, a partisan uh, vote breakdown, you want it to be something as fundamental as the rules governing our elections. This way, you know, half the country feels like they're getting crapped on. That's the best way to govern, I think. That's what I've learned by watching the Democrats wield power. I have also learned, by the way, uh, the value of a great mattress. Everybody should know this. And if you haven't, look, I slept for years on a really terrible mattress and I didn't know what I didn't know, uh, which was that it affects so much of your life. <laughs> if you don't get a good night's sleep because your mattress is crummy, then get a non-crummy mattress. That's what I did. Christy and I, we have a mattress from Mattress Man. You can pick one up as well just by going to any of their four locations, Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide, so you can check out all the inventory at their website, mattressmanstores.com. They are the exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection. Uh, these are the mattresses that are in the hotel rooms and the rooms at the inn um, at the Biltmore Estate for those two facilities at the Biltmore Estate, not the actual Biltmore House. I've seen those beds. They did not look very comfortable. Like, even, like, think about that. Like, the richest people at the time when the Biltmore Estate uh, got built, like, their beds are crap. Their beds are not good. Mattress Man, you like you could sleep better than a Biltmore. How about that? You can actually sleep on the Biltmore Collection. They're made by Restonic in Fayetteville. So North Carolina made. Head on over there. They uh, they do have all the types of mattresses. So Inner Spring, Memory Foam, that's what Christy and I got. Um, they've got natural latex mattresses, pillow tops. They have adjustable bases. And they have tons of deals always going on. So uh, like their tax refund sale going on right now, you can basically walk out the door have a mattress to sleep on that night and don't make any payments on it. And then when you get your refund, you um, you pay it all off with your tax refund like brilliant or your or your Biden uh, 
your Biden bucks, as I call them. Uh, so head on over to Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com, a 120-day comfort guarantee, local five-star delivery service. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So last week, the House passed H.R. 1, the For the People Act. It passed by 10 votes, with every Republican voting against it. Um, there was one Democrat, Benny Thompson, who's from Mississippi, and he voted with the Republicans on this. So I guess, I mean, it, it, I guess it was it was a, a bipartisan opposition. Of course, it's never defined as bipartisan, because remember the rule of journalisming, which is that any piece of legislation that picks up a single Republican vote to align with every single Democrat, that makes that legislation bipartisan. Inversely, if a Republican piece of legislation uh, has Democrat support, it must clear like two thirds of the Democrats in that body in order for it to be labeled as bipartisan. Look, I don't make up these rules, people. This is just what I see in the media. Anyway, it would be this is according to, by the way, the National Review Editorial Board, nationalreview.com. Oh, and we're going to talk with David Harsanyi from National Review in a minute. He's got a separate piece, but the National Review editorial, I thought, did a really good job of going through a lot of the, dare I call them, highlights of the um, of this H.R. 1 for the People Act. They say it would be an understatement to describe H.R. 1 as a radical assault on American democracy, federalism, and free speech. It is actually several radical left-wing wish lists stuffed into a single 791-page sausage casing. It would override hundreds of state laws governing the orderly conduct of elections, federalize control of voting and elections to a degree without precedent in American history. It would end two centuries of state power to draw congressional districts, turn the Federal Elections Commission into a partisan weapon, and massively burden political speech against the government while offering government handouts to congressional campaigns and campus activists. Merely to describe the bill is to damn it, and describing it is a Herculean task in itself. Uh, some of the highlights, same-day registration. Same-day registration. So you go vote, same day you register, uh, and um, it allows people to change their name and address on the rolls at the polling place on Election Day. <laughs> so you walk in and you're not registered. You could register. Oh, and I want to change my address. Um, OK, how do but you can't ask for voter ID either because this would do away with all voter ID. Mm -hmm. Forbid states from treating their votes as provisional ballots that can be checked afterwards. So when you walk in, you can do this, and then it gets cast as a regular vote, not as a provisional ballot. Uh, also, it mandates automated registration of people who apply for unemployment, Medicaid, Obamacare, and college, or who are coming out of prison. The bill's authors also expect this to register non-citizens because they create a safe harbor against prosecution of non-citizens who report that they have been erroneously registered. So they expect this to happen. So they are protecting people from in the law. They say, look, if you, you know, sign up for one of these programs or college or something or you get out of prison and you get put onto the voter roll and you didn't ask to be and you're a non-citizen, um, we know that's not your fault. But you'll be on there anyway. And I guess it, what it'll be up to them to figure it out and say, hey, 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 you need to take me off the rolls. Or what's more likely? that the person never knows that they're on the rolls, and then maybe somebody goes and votes for them. 
H.R. 1 bars states from checking with other states for duplicate registrations within six months of an election. So you're not even allowed to cross check with other states prior to an election. It bars removing former voters from the rolls for failure to vote or to respond to mailing. This is how North Carolina cleans up its rolls, which is pretty silly. Like even this minimal safeguard, which is, hey, look, if you don't vote in like eight years, we're going to take you off the rolls. You got to vote within like eight years and uh, we're going to send you a bunch of mailers and the mailers are going to be like, hey, does this person still live here? And if the uh, Board of Elections doesn't get it back, they take that as proof. It's a really silly system, right? Because they're counting on the new person who lives at the address uh, to do something with it. And uh, that's ridiculous. They're also relying on the post office. But even this minimal safeguard is going to get stripped away. Let's see what else. Um bars anybody but an election official from challenging a voter's eligibility to vote on election day. So get get rid of all the challenges. So now nobody's allowed to say, hey, wait a minute, I know you, you live in that other precinct. You can't do that. No, this is, they say, insulating Democrat-run precincts from scrutiny. Because what happens is you have a lot of precincts uh, in urban areas, in, uh, in cities that are virtually 100% Democrat. And so finding a single Republican to actually go hang out at a precinct or be an election official from that precinct to challenge a voter, right, is going to be difficult. And so what happens is if now you're going to further restrict who can challenge, now it's basically nobody. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) State voter ID laws banned. Dramatic expansion of mail-in voting. Uh, On the mail-in ballots, they may not require notarization or a witness. <laughs> so it's just it's just a ballot shows up in the mail. I fill it out. I send it in. Oh, you know what? I don't even have to send it in. I can just have my friendly neighborhood ballot harvester pick it up. Yes, they states will be compelled to permit ballot harvesting, curbside voting, ballot drop boxes and 15 days of early voting all mandated the bill micromanages the location and the hours of polling stations early voting locations and drop boxes states are compelled to accept voter registrations from 16 year olds although they still can't vote before turning 18 Um, Democrats and their political allies who rely on the youth vote traditionally expend extensive resources registering young people. The bill shifts the job of signing up young voters to the federal government. See, so Democrats are tired of paying for this because they know young people tend to vote Democrat, right? That's the that's the old joke. If you're a you know, if you're under the age of 35 and you're not a liberal, you have no heart. And if you're over the age of 35 and you're not a conservative, you have no brain. And uh, they know this. And so they spend a ton of money getting out the youth vote. Right. Well, now they'd like to offload that cost to the federal government, to the taxpayers, if you don't mind, to have the conservatives kind of share in the cost burden there to register Democrats, if you don't mind. Thanks so much. Uh, So now they're going to shift the signing up of young voters to the federal government, which will pay to teach 12th graders how to register. So when you're a senior in high school, you'll be taught how to register. They'll create a campus vote coordinator position on college campuses and award grants to colleges for demonstrated excellence in registering students to vote. This is measured in part by whether campuses provide rides to get students to the polls and whether they encourage both students and the communities around the campus to get mobilized to vote. 
So that's really what higher uh, uh, education, academia needs, don't you think? Right? Uh, yeah, they need more money. They need more tax money. <laughs> right? And oh yeah, and I'm sure uh, that there's no kind of problem at all with uh, having all of these young skulls of mush, as uh, Rush Limbaugh used to call them. Right, being educated by uh, these neo-Marxists and then uh, and then coordinated to go vote. I'm sure that nothing could nothing is wrong with that. I'm sure there'll be no abuses here. Um, the drawing of congressional districts will be taken out of the hands of elected state legislators uh, who have been doing it since literally the founding of the country. Uh, they're going to count inmates. Get this as residents of their last address. So even if you're serving a life sentence and you're in prison, serving a life sentence, your address is going to count from where you used to live in that jurisdiction. See, because this is a way to uh, to minimize, because right now, you know, where you would be counted as a, as a person would be in that prison in whatever county that prison is, right? So for purposes of redistricting and apportionment, your uh, prison populations count towards your population. Well, prisons tend to be located in rural areas, and so this is meant as a way to uh, reduce the influence of red counties. Disclosure rules, because this is more than just election law um, and how the elections are administered. This gets into election financing and stuff. Again, it's like 800 pages. Disclosure rules would treat huge amounts of speech and advertising on matters of public concern as if they were campaign donations. This would require donors to, like, the AARP, to now be identified as supporters of any candidate if the AARP demands that the candidate keep a promise to protect Social Security. Again, this is the National Review uh, editors writing at uh, nationalreview.com. How about this? 501c4 nonprofits. They now have to disclose all their donors. Another potentially unconstitutional burden on the freedom to speak and associate. New limits on corporate political activity are extensive and similar restrictions are not placed on Unions, because of course not. Why would they be on unions, people? Unions are Democrat. Come on. See, if you are, if you organize yourself into a 501c4 for a particular cause, then we all get to know who's donating to that. But if you're a union, it's all secret. Previous rules in place to enable free speech on the internet and prevent political bias in IRS audits, those got repealed. Because, you know, we don't want the IRS to be conducting audits in a nonpartisan way. Obviously not. We're now in control, say the Democrats. This is what we want to do. Extent, could you imagine, by the way, if Republicans filed this bill? Could you imagine if Republicans said, we want to politicize the IRS again? We want the IRS going after our political enemies. <laughs> Just imagine how that would fly. What the media response would be to that. Speaking of response, um, the response that I've gotten from people who have been trying the growers hemp uh, CBD products, it's been great. Uh, I get emails, I get messages from folks uh, who say, like, well, for example, Jeff says, I sincerely believe that it's allowing me to sleep better, especially when I first get into bed. After 20-something years of only sleeping a couple of hours a night, it's nice to make it through the night. Um, I That's the way I would sleep for, the, for most of my life. I would wake up uh, and have trouble getting back to bed. I'd have trouble falling asleep in the first place, too. But uh, when I started taking Grower's Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract, take a couple drops under my tongue before I go to bed, uh, I don't have that happen anymore. So uh, try Grower's Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. They also have topicals, so you can use them for 
Uh, Christy used some on a cracked lip she had um, the other night. And when she, she put a little bit on before she went to bed and when she woke up, it was gone. It was all better. So um, you can try these just by going to growershemp.com. And if you use the promo code Pete, you'll get 20% off. Uh, growershemp.com. These are North Carolina farmers, local farmers, uh, family farmers. And they got together and they said, let's control the whole process from seed to shelf. You get a better quality product. You get um, uh, better prices. And you are helped on your wellness journey by these farmers that you're helping to keep you know, their farms alive. So it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, so go to the website, growershemp.com, use the promo code PETE, uh, and uh, check it out for yourself. And as with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer. Got to read it. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And nothing I have said is meant to su- as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product growers hemp growers hemp.com promo code pete for 20 percent off growers hemp is about the hemp and not the hype and joining me now is david hersani he is the senior writer a senior writer with national review you can read his work at nationalreview.com and welcome back to the program david i appreciate it i got to tell you you are one of the uh the audience favorites whenever i have you on i usually get messages from folks thanking me for having you on they love you so welcome back and thanks for making time for us yeah well, that's great. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, it. Yeah. So your latest piece uh, that's posted up that I saw is called Pelosi's HR1 is an authoritarian outrage. Do you write the headlines on that one? Is that do you do you claim credit for the headline? Because I was going to ask claim, you if is it I claim an credit for this one for yeah, this one? Absolutely. Okay. So why if you, is if, this... you, if you see the word if you see the word authoritarian or something like that? Uh, that's me. That's you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, so why is this HR one? Why is this an authoritarian outrage? And we'll go into some of the specifics, but just sort of full disclosure here on my part. I have not read this bill. Like it's what, uh, 40,000 pages or something. I've not read it. Uh, and so I'm going to rely on you, uh, and your, uh, if you've read through it, you obviously know more about it than I do. So why is it authoritarian? It feels like 40,000 pages. It's 719 <laughs> pages, 40,000 words, I think. But uh, yeah. that's, bo- that's book length, right? It's yeah. like, you know, so um, well, I guess the biggest point to make is that it, I mean, it is specifically authoritarian in the sense of what it makes people do. But in the broad sense, it's authoritarian because it's the federal government nationalizing elections, which it's not supposed to do. It's the federal government interfering in free speech of states. Uh, meaning the, the, the laws they have to, to dictate elections, which they have no right to do um, or should not have no right to do. So that that is the broadly speaking, why it's authoritarian. It it undermines the sanctity of our of our sacred democracy uh, <laughs> by essentially letting people vote in ways that, uh, you know, do not uphold elections i think at least in the way it should now you may disagree with me but i think states at the very least should be able to make their own laws now i could get into the specifics if you like but that's the main reason yes let's so let's go into some of these specifics that states can make their own laws why is this important and i mean i've got my own views on this but i'm curious why you think it's important that states uh uh, maintain this authority well 
as with anything, I think federalism is important. You know, I, I, sometimes we forget that states created the country, not in the reverse. Mm-hmm. But more than that, just specifically, I think the problem is that we have someone like Nancy Pelosi and Democrats today who I think are radicals and um, activists against the Constitution making having a slim majority and yet making rules for all the states in the whole entire country in perpetuity. It's not how it should, it's supposed to work. It's not, you know, it's not in the spirit of the constitution and it's not in the spirit of how America works, I think. So, I mean, you know, just broadly speaking that, that, that's the reason, Um, you know, and, and, Specifically speaking, because they want to make us do all states do crazy things. That's why. (laughs) Well, I thought this was interesting. I read also National Review has an editorial uh, uh, covering uh, the same topic, going in depth on some of the the issues with H.R. 1. And they they pulled one out. And folks in North Carolina are particularly sensitive to this one. Ballot harvesting because of what happened in the North Carolina congressional district. Uh, now, what, two years ago, three years ago, um, when, you know, the ballot harvesting operation got busted and it favored a Republican. And so, oh, my gosh, got to have a new election. And that's how Dan Bishop is now uh, in Congress and not Reverend Mark Harris. So in reading through the editorial, like now what ballot harvesting is a OK, as long as you don't pay people to collect votes. It seems like for people who were so outraged about it, why would they do it now? It's not even merely okay. It, you're compelled to make it okay, and you're compelled, and the and the and and the federal government micromanages what you're compelled to do. So that that is the problem. It compels states to count mail-in ballots that are ten, you know, ten days after election day. That's they're compelled, you know, you're compelled states not to have, uh, you know, photo voter IDs and it compels states to allow felons to vote and to register 16 year olds, you know, and that and that's just the start of it, because it, it also um, attacks free speech rights by making people go jump through hoops and, you know, just an incredible bureaucracy to to form their own sort of you know, political groups and, and non-profit groups and things like that. And also hands over redistricting to a bunch of bureaucrats. I mean, all these things um, are compelled. The states must do them. That That is, I think, pretty should be pretty problematic to any smaller state or mid-sized states that wants to control its own elections. Now you basically have California and New York and a few states controlling the elections of North Carolina. Well, it's a lot easier to do it this way than to try to, you know, repeal the Electoral College. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They want to do that as well. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that is a, that's a heavy lift because you, you know, it's in the constitution. Right. Um, I, I, I would hope that this would be found unconstitutional, but I don't, you know, who knows? So that's, that's a dangerous game to play. Yeah. Well, with, yeah. Well, trying to predict, I gave up predicting elections in 2016 and years ago I gave up trying to predict court cases just, and, and so the Supreme court always baffles me whenever they come out with a ruling. Um, well, usually and it's about 80 percent of the time. Now, right. I think I've, I think we've discussed this before. Actually, there's a related issue here. Do I remember correctly that you don't vote in the presidential races or is it all elections? Do you vote local? Is that was that you that told me that? Yeah, I don't vote. Um, and it's sort of residual <laughs> residual principled uh, position from a residual pre- principled position from when I was a more straightforward kind of journalist. 
uh, well, when I was a journalist, I really consider myself one now. So I didn't vote because I just view, viewed myself as someone who was, you know, against the man. <laughs> you know, I was like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I felt like I was the opposition to the politicians. It doesn't mean I would be dishonest about it, but I think that being skeptical of all of them was was the way to go. And then I just I just decided that I would do it. Not that it's a shtick or anything. I just don't think my votes count very much. I live in a place where everyone I disagree with basically everyone. Um, <laughs> basically, I've lived in those sorts of places my whole life. My vote has never really counted in any way, and that's fine. But my bigger argument is that not voting is a political position. If I don't like the candidates, that is my position automatically registering people or forcing them to vote which is a, an idea that's been thrown around by many uh, left-wingers for years you know compel people to vote like they do in australia i find i think that's unconstitutional as well it forces me to do something to to have a political opinion about something that i don't want to engage in lots of people don't vote because they don't care or they don't know where they think it's stupid or they don't like any of the candidates and that should be their right. Mm -hmm. Well, so, and, and I bring that up only because I feel like it does, it does give you space. It's almost like you have no dog in this fight on which party is going to benefit from whatever rule tweaks that they want to do, because if you're not voting, then it's not benefiting you or your party at all. Um, but uh, but, uh, but you definitely do have a position about uh, you know about the the fear it sounds like of what Democrats are trying to do very quickly and my fear when they when they took over control of you know the House the Senate and the White House is that they're going to run as far left as fast as possible and it, it looks like that's what they're doing with this bill um, and I think I also heard something well you wrote the book about guns America's uh, the history with the gun and. I think that's coming up next. They're looking to do something along those lines, the COVID relief bill. I mean, it's just, it, it's, I think they're going to cram as much stuff down our throats as they can. Is that, are, are you concerned about that or am I paranoid? No, you're not paranoid. And they're not, you know, they're negotiating with the farthest right within their own party. So as long as they can get Mansion or, or Cinema or whatever to, uh, did I say her name right? Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to, um, to, to sign on, they're going to push through whatever they can. They're not negotiating with Republicans. These are not bipartisan bills. There's no consensus. And passing giant, the first time this was really done was Obamacare, but passing giant reforms and giant bills with no consensus from half the country, with no, I mean, with no buy-in from half the country is not a way to run the American government. And that's why they constantly want to centralize control. That's why they hate the electoral college. That's why they're always talking about democracy and uh, convincing people that simply because they have the majority, they should be, you know, do, be able to do whatever they want, get rid of the filibuster. It's just not a healthy way to have a, this is how you tear the country apart because mm -hmm. you have states who don't want that and they're being forced to take on policies they don't want you know, by by a slim majority of people in this country. And I don't know, I just think it's dangerous. Democracy is not what the country's about. <laughs> you know, I know this is hard for people, some people to uh, accept, but simply majoritarianism is not what the founders envisioned for this country. They never envisioned New York and Virginia deciding what happens in Rhode Island or, you know, Georgia at the time. And it's just never been the way it is. There's always been some sort of consensus for really big bills. And we don't do that anymore. 
We just have a slim majority and push it, ram it through. More with David Harsani from the National Review in a moment. First, let me take a moment and tell you about Rowena Patton. If you are thinking about buying or selling a home, call the only agent that I would call. The only agent we did, actually. Christy and I, we're buying our house, and uh, we are using Rowena Patton. So uh, I would never recommend somebody that I would not use myself. We are using her and her all-star powerhouse team. We're very happy. Uh, you know, She helped us uh, through this process because they're building the house, and it's part of a, you know, a, a neighborhood. And uh, they call it build to suit. I had, you know, I, I knew of this process. I'd never been through it. And, uh, you know, she told us she, she helped guide us to make some decisions, things like what's better for resale and, uh, you know, not telling us what to decide, but what we should be thinking about when we do decide stuff like that. Um, she'll also get your house sold quickly and for more money. This is what she does. 828-333-4483. She has buyers lined up. She has homes in all price points. Buying or selling, call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. They outsell 99% of the realtors in the entire state. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. That's the website, mountainhomehunt.com, 333-4483. And uh, when you give her a call, then start packing. That's how fast it happens. David Hersani from National Review. So what of the argument that I hear from uh, from the left on this that this is all about making voting easier and why don't you want to make it easier for people to vote you must be afraid that they're going to vote against you well um they call you know if i say i believe that elections actually do matter so i want people to show an id doesn't seem like a lot to go through to vote they call that a voting restriction so is getting a driver's license a driving restriction or is it just something that we do? So my, now, I don't want to stop people from voting, but when at this point, if I don't go to my next door neighbor and drive them to the poll, you know, no, no, if I don't go by, deliver a mail ballot, wait there, pick it up for them and take it to the mail, I'm engaged in voter restrictions or voter <laughs> suppression. It is an, an endless open ended position they have here. Just because people don't vote, maybe they don't want to. We have to have some sort of rules that we all have to follow um, in a state or as a country that we believe in, like IDs, like no illegals voting. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to nationalize those things, but I feel like those are common sense ideas. Now, if you ask people separately in polls, at least the ones I've seen, do you believe people should show ID or do you believe – uh, you know, that uh, we should be able to challenge a signature of a person or, or et cetera. They will say yes to those things. But when you bundle it up in a in a in a bill and say that Republicans want to you know destroy democracy, it's popular. Um, but I, I don't know that they wouldn't in the long term with this sort of thing, because I think that it's just going to lead to more banana republic stuff like we saw in Pennsylvania this last election. Hmm. Well, North Carolina has been trying to get voter ID for a decade it's 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 really unbelievable the law that uh they're that, that w they got sued over the latest round from the NAACP and the ACLU was uh on voter ID the law that that they crafted the Republicans crafted was less restrictive than other states that that already I think it was Georgia whose uh, their law was upheld by the Supreme Court and so they the North Carolina folks took that made it even easier and it still was sued over so it, it you do get to a point pretty quickly where you start realizing that they don't want any restrictions on this I've actually heard 
uh, well, somebody told me, a Democrat told me, they would not want, have, they, they would rather have no restrictions whatsoever. And I said, well, so what, somebody could just show up and vote multiple times? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Because if everybody does it, then it'll all balance out. That's literally, yeah. <laughs> that's the idea, I think. And like, I thought that was insane. But now I'm wondering, maybe there are a lot of people that think that way. But you know what they're saying? What they're saying is, is it's the opposite. What they mean is the opposite of what they say. They do not believe elections are super important or sacred. They believe that anyone should be able to vote as many times and go wherever they feel like. They want to shower everyone with paper ballots. They don't want to allow anyone to challenge. Like in, in Georgia, they would the, this HR1 would change how you're allowed to clean up your voter rolls, which are filled with people who move away, who are, you know, who, who, who go, you know, you know, who either move away or, or whatever happens to them. Yeah, exactly. Die. And you're not allowed to, you know, they set up new rules for that, which of course, as you can imagine, are not very strict <laughs> at all. So it's, you know, or you have to allow felons to vote. Now, I don't know how I exactly feel about that, but I actually, I think maybe I would have let felons vote if it was up to me. If once you've paid your duty, you know, you're, you're, you've paid your, what is it called? To society, yeah, the debt to society, the debt you owe society, right. You should be able to vote. However, yeah. I don't think that the federal government should be forcing Florida to allow felons to vote or whoever. So, you know, I don't know. It's complicated in the sense that also that they don't want to debate these issues one by one. They want to simply pass a big bill because they think they have the votes now. And maybe they do. I don't know. We'll see. I thought you raised and you, and you kind of touched on it right there, which is um, this is a bad faith argument and the way they're arguing, because like you just said, they, they don't really care about the sanctity of the vote because they're trying to make it so easy it becomes virtually worthless. And along the same lines, you said um, that if the last election, this uh, 2020 election, that they said, you know, there was no voting irregularities, everything was fine. And if that was the case, then why would you need to pass all of these rules right now if there were no problems? And you're of the opinion that there was not, I guess, what, widespread fraud that would affect the outcome of the presidential race. I I, I took your meaning. Right. I don't think that I think that Joe Biden won the election according mm -hmm. to the rules that we had. Now, I think those rules are ridiculous in many states, but. You know, that's something you have to deal with before the election, not after, because then you don't have a peaceful transfer of power and it becomes a big, giant mess. Um, that's why we don't have parliamentary systems, which some people here seem to be pining for, where you have to make, you know, you have to make deals with all the small parties after an election. It's just the whole, you know, there's no stability in that. Um, but if I say the election was stolen or there was widespread, you know, cheating or whatever, you know, liberals are going to want to have me banned from Twitter for saying so. But yet, <laughs> yes, they're they're saying we have to we have to change the entire system nationally in every state with a giant bill, 40,000 word bill to fix the elections. Now, you just told me the elections were fine. Now we have to fix it. Um, the, the thing is, they won this last election because of paper ballots, because paper ballots went out in many states to everyone, because people could vote after the election. And that's a fact in Pennsylvania and other places. Um, you know, after Election Day, and they want every state to every state's election to be run that way. And they feel like they can force those states to do it now. And that's what they're going to do.
We'll wrap up with David Harsani from National Review in a minute. First, if you have a minute, listen to this. Uh, Old Grouch's military surplus. They've got all the gear that you need. You've got, uh, you know, the good weather is right around the corner here. It's actually like 70 degrees in the mountains today. It's fantastic. So uh, if you like hiking, camping, fishing, um, then you need the gear. And part of everyone's gear should include a first aid kit, obviously. Uh, If you go on into the shop in uh, downtown Clyde, uh, he can fully customize your kit for whatever your needs are, uh, you know, and, and this, you know, you can also be used for prepper kits, your go bag, for example, or first aid kit for your car. He's got gun accessories. He's got ammo hand, uh, cans, which are great for um just storage purposes in your truck, in your garage, in your shed, uh, or in your house. You know, look, I'm not judging. Everyone's style is different. Um, go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, downtown Clyde's on Main Street, where it's been for more than three decades. Real U.S. Military Surplus shop is open Monday through Saturday. It is across the street from the anti-aircraft gun, and Tim will be happy to tell you the story about that. Um, and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. David Harsani from National Review. Also, this law would compel, uh, as you write in your piece, compel states to allow ballot harvesting, compel states to ban voter ID laws, compel states to allow bureaucrats to redraw congressional districts, compel states to allow felons to vote, and compel states, as you mentioned earlier, undermine free speech rights by imposing onerous legal and administrative burdens on candidates, civic groups, unions, nonprofit, uh, and nonprofit organizations. Um, The... One of the other ones um, that really struck me was the provisional ballots and same-day registration. Like, you can literally walk into the the polling station. As, as I read what, uh, what I've read, actually, National Review, what I read, what I understand, is that you can walk in on Election Day, not be registered to vote at all, anywhere, I guess, and then register to vote right then and there, and they don't count your vote as a provisional ballot. It just counts as a normal ballot, which means nobody goes back to check. And that seems, I don't know, insecure, to say the least. <laughs> and you're not and you're not allowed to challenge it either. You're not allowed to challenge a signature on a ballot if it doesn't match, let's say, some ID or whatever it is. You're not allowed to do any of that. <laughs> I just, I don't understand. You know, there's a writer, you know, I'm not going to, you know, he's just a liberal writer. And he says that stopping this bill is essentially authoritarianism, which means that we've been living in an authoritarian state every day before <laughs> this bill is passed, but also means that every Western European country is authoritarian because they have voter IDs and almost, you know, voter photo voter ID, state issued IDs necessary to vote in every single one of those countries, in Germany and France, Scandinavian countries that they love. So are you telling the only place I think you can go vote without an ID where they dip your hand in ink and stuff are places we want to have better elections then, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or, Or more secure elections. And yet they don't seem to care about that because they don't really care about elections. They care about winning. You know, they're always talking about how there's a majority and the minority is stopping them from having their way because they don't understand how the country works. They think it's a think it's a centralized government that all everything comes from Washington. But this is new for them when when they wanted to uh, pass, you know, when they wanted abortion, they had no problem with Roe v. Wade undermining the will of the people or gay marriage. You know, things have changed. But at the time, gay marriage wasn't popular and they had no problem with the court stepping in. They are basically willing to do whatever it takes that power. And this they see as a power grab. And, you know, I don't know if if Manchin's going to go along with it in West Virginia or not, but uh, 
but but that would be, I think, very bad for the country. The I world, don't right? trust him. I don't trust him at all. Um, I know everyone likes to, I guess, wish cast that he's, um, you know, that he's a blue dog Democrat and he's oh he's closer to the center and I guess he's closer to the center than most of the other senators up there. But I don't, I don't trust that he's going to stand up to to Schumer on this stuff. But again, I, I, I don't know anything about that. I just, no, no, you're right. He's not. Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't he, he, no, I, you're right. He is, he is, <laughs> he is, he is ridiculous. I mean, what he'll do is he'll do just as much as he needs to do to stay in office and not have a revolt on his hand at home. So what he does is he stands up and votes against someone that is an easy, you know, no vote. And then on the harder things, he goes along with Democrats all the time. I am very scared that he's going to over, over, um, turn the filibuster Mm -hmm. which i think is incredibly important and uh and i think he'll do it so yeah no i think you're right i mean i hope he doesn't i hope there's enough pressure from west virginia because which is a red state for him not to do it but um i wouldn't i wouldn't put it past him at all i think you're right not to trust him well i think he's up i think his term expires like in 2024 and from what i've read i don't think he could win again in 2024. He maybe because the name ID and all that, but the the state just keeps getting redder, you know. <laughs> and I don't know. Uh, maybe you know. Maybe he's like in our part of the uh, state here. We had Heath Schuler, who was the you know the blue dog Democrat who um, did not run again, and then Mark Meadows uh, won the seat, and everybody's still convinced that it's gerrymandering. That's the reason why Heath Schuler isn't our congressman. It's like, well, no. It's because it's a red district. It's a Republican district. And Heath Schuler was an NFL quarterback, local boy made good. Like you find me another one of those guys. <laughs> I think, you know, you might have a chance as a blue dog Democrat winning out here, but not until you find another NFL quarterback. Uh, that's from Swain County. Anyway, I know I'm off far afield here. No, no, it's only it's only gerrymandering if Republicans do it. If the Democrats right. do it, it's redistricting. Right. That's fair maps. That's what I said. If Democrats call for fair maps, you know, they want maps they can win. But I think to uh, to bring this back to the federalism point, like I thought like this is the benefit of the system, which is if you've got some bad laws and you mentioned some of these states, they got bad election law um, and uh, whatever your definition of good and bad is in that sense. But it's contained to that state. Right. That's the idea is that it doesn't infect all of the other states like this would puts everybody under a, a regime that even if there are components that are good, if there are any that are bad, you've now replicated that nationwide we have a giant country with an incredibly diverse place i mean we have shared ideals that that keep us together but in in our societal habits our cultures are very different in new mexico and vermont to have one size fits all policies are disastrous we already have a one size fits policy it's called the constitution other than that and it's explicitly laid out we ignore it, it, it the federal government is not empowered to do these kinds of things Think about COVID, where you have Dr. Fauci saying months ago that New York is the, doing it the best. We need to all follow what New York is doing. Andrew Cuomo is the gold standard, I think was were his words, you know, nice. in dealing with this, right? So what if we did? What if we? What if Fauci and the CDC were empowered in the way Democrats want, you know, to follow the science, etc.? Our, our, our not laughing at this, but our death toll would be a lot higher. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, so that that's just a very dramatic example of why federalism is important. We all have different kinds of 
ways we live in Asheville. People live differently than they do in New York City. And that's why we have different, you know, local control. Yeah, but they don't want, like that idea because they're a bunch of slack jawed yokels doing things they don't like, <laughs> having dumb, like, crazy ideas about the world. And they want to force you and force people around the country to live like they live. And uh, I'm one of those people. I live in those places. I don't I don't even like these people around me. But um, I, I'm just saying I don't want to force people to live a certain way. And the thing is, in my view, in many red states, let's take Oklahoma, they don't really feel the need to tell people in Brooklyn how to live. But the people in Brooklyn want to tell everyone else how to live. And that's my main problem right now in politics. And that's what's going on, I think. Well, and the covid pandemic has just amped that up to 11 you know just the hall monitoring the uh the moral grandstanding just on everything it's um it, I, it's it's gone to the point where i'm thinking there are a lot of people that have snapped like mentally you know like there there's there are serious mental health issues going on now where people are just incapable of of thinking rationally about stuff, about risk assessment and who's a threat and who's not, you know, your 99% chance of, you know, not catching it and dying. Uh, but it, it, but it's all out the window. It's all irrationality and sort of neurosis. Um, and I think it's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's more pronounced coming from blue states versus red states. They like, they're, oh, there's Florida with Death Santis. He's going to kill everybody, <laughs> you know? And then, but you look up in New York and the guy's literally responsible for tens of thousands of deaths. I don't, I, I, I yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. It's got to be mental health issue. It has to be. Well, it started out, well, they're authoritarians. That's why I use the word. I mean, it starts yeah, out, true. <laughs> it starts out with, listen, we got, we have to make sure the hospitals aren't overrun with this thing because then we're going to have a big emergency on our hands. And you're like, okay, that's a good point. I'm going to stay home. Next thing, if one person, if you listen to Fauci right now, I mean, if one person anywhere is dying of COVID, we all have to just stay in, in and, you know, shut down the economy and shut down the schools and shut down everything. It's, it's insanity. Mm -hmm. And, um, Around the country, may, uh, governors have taken emergency powers like they're Roman dictators, no debate, no legislatures, nothing, and just do whatever they want. And everyone's like, all right, you know, because there's a pandemic around. I mean, there's no, you know, Constitution doesn't say these are our, our freedoms except if there's a pandemic, and, and yet that's how governors act. Um, I think it's incredibly dangerous. Now I think they're addicted to that sort of power, and... I think you're right. I think it's amped up all the debates and the cultural way, you know, people look at risk. You know, Thomas Sowell said there's no solutions, only trade-offs. Hmm. And these folks, they never talk about the trade-offs. So follow the science. That doesn't mean anything. That's just the platitude, <laughs> right? I mean, I could follow the science on a lot of things, but I have to think about the economy. I have to think about personal freedom. I have to think about... You know, the science of mental health, of people being stuck in their homes, the science of kids losing out a year of their lives, not going to school, even though the risk is so minimal. A million things to think about. So anyway, I'm off on a tangent. No, it's, so. yeah, it, yeah, but I think it's, it is, again, it's the replication of of mistakes. If, yeah, if you've got one state that's doing it well, and thank God, actually, right, because we can now look at states like Florida and compare it. 
because of federalism. We can say, oh, wait, yeah, New York, that, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> right? Yeah, but they don't do that they because don't. I think people are so ideological. And some people, their their partisanship is their new religion that they can't even admit that kind of thing. They're still going after DeSantis all the time like he's been some failure. I just – I try to comprehend what they're saying. I try to understand the other side's arguments. Mm-hmm. I cannot understand their arguments. The, the fatality rate at, in Florida, a state that has – a lot older population in New York um, is half, is half of New York. So wh- what are we even talking about here? Now, if you say, well, New York got it first and accept that's fine, but still, how can you say they're worse than Florida? That doesn't, does not compute. Yeah. No. Well, and yeah. There's a lot of things that like, here's the, the, the classic question is what uh, signifies the end of the pandemic? Like, <laughs> What, 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 zero deaths. Right. Zero. Nobody even. But I would at least. I would at least applaud that as an answer, just for an answer, because we don't even get the question asked. <laughs> we so without the question, we never get an answer. And at least if somebody actually said that, then we would have somebody on the record, to you know, and you could have a target to throw your tomatoes at. Like I don't. Uh, but I, I think Fauci said less than a thousand cases. I might be wrong about oh this, but God. I think he said something. So let's like think about this. If we all get in our cars and drive, we're going to have more than a thousand deaths going on in a, in a week. Let's say right in the country vehicular deaths i mean what what can we do the flu kills fifty i'm not saying this is the flu i'm just saying right a thousand deaths you know i don't know what his time frame was or whatever it was or cases is just insanity it's insanity right unless, unless you're talking about like the complete eradication of it like polio which like then, then then you would be basically assessing the risk of covid to be equal to polio and that's absurd who would say that <laughs> except of course i guess the head of infectious diseases <laughs> yeah i mean they, they don't even they you're not even allowed to be rational about it and say listen there are here's young people and here's the risk to them which is minimal it's it's less than the flu so we say from 25 down right that the risk is so small we have to let them out there we have to protect certain people in the population who are susceptible um, who go to, you know, who are going to be hospitalized at higher rates, but the rest we have to allow, allow to live. But no, we're all in this together, they keep saying. But we're not really, because white collar workers or, you know, people with good jobs, they keep their jobs. It's it's working class people who are mostly losing their jobs because they're waiters or whatever in this, you know, and, and so it's not together. And then because they've, they've created this government-induced emergency and recession, <laughs> then they have to pass giant trillion-dollar bills to fix it. I mean, it is it's just insanity. I feel like I'm living in an idiocracy. We are. This is the prequel. <laughs> this I is like the... coming on here. Let, let's display some anger. <laughs> uh, you give me some room to breathe. It's a longer interview. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's no I've I've long uh, I've long looked at uh, our times as the, the period that occurred right before idiocracy began, like where the movie starts, like we're like the like the five years prior. Uh, the, the idiocracy looks like a lot more fun than what we're going through. Though, I tell you. That's true. At least they get the uh, the monster truck jams and stuff uh yeah, yeah, yeah. all right david hersania i kept you way late i appreciate you being so uh generous with your time you can read his work at national review uh and thanks again for joining us i appreciate it yeah thanks for having me now here's something you'll be thanking me for letting you know about the huge sale going on with uh a general equipment rental for Husqvarna stand on mowers uh they do get a couple people that buy these for uh residential use uh which if you got a large piece of property this thing is awesome and you're not going to find a better deal than the one I'm about to tell you the V500 series the 548 and the 554 stand on mowers 
There are two separate deals for these Husqvarna mowers, and uh, you can add them together. General Equipment Rental will show you how to add these together. You take 25% off the MSRP for purchasing a nine-point fleet item, and then you get a $1,000 instant rebate when you buy one of those two models. You put them together, bam, $3,500 off. Okay, so if you're looking to replace uh, one of the mowers out of your fleet, if you are, you know, commercial operator, you know, think it over. Not too long though, because the promotion is going to be ending April 30th. This is the kind of deal that General Equipment Rental gets you, and they know about as the official licensed Husqvarna outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Okay, see the website GeneralRents.com for all of the details. They are, of course, also uh, the best place to go. If you need uh, power tools and equipment just for a specific job, you rent the tool and then you bring it back. And they're going to show you how to use the tool before you take it home, which is very helpful. Okay, General Equipment Rental, GeneralRents.com. They are located uh, in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. They are family owned and operated. They have been for three generations. Great folks. Support the businesses that support this show. If you like the show, uh, then I ask you to please patronize them. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So uh, the last little bit here from the National Review editors about what this For the People Act uh, is going to do. Extensive public funding giveaways to candidates. Because, of course, I mean, if you're going to take the trouble to write the bill, you're, of course, going to make sure that you benefit (laughs) in some way. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's a six to one public match for some donations to congressional and presidential campaigns. It also establishes a a pilot program that gives voters $25 a piece to make government-funded donations to campaigns. So they'll give you $25 of taxpayer money to then direct to a campaign. (laughs) So when you're filing taxes, you can take free money and direct it, oh, to them. Oh, isn't that very helpful for them? The labyrinth of new speech rules would be administered by the FEC, and so H.R. 1 eliminates the commission's longstanding bipartisan structure and makes it more directly accountable to the president, because that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah, let's, let's put the president in control of elections. Like, guys, were you not just arguing like Donald Trump is a fascist tyrant and all like, why would you why would you consolidate the power? Oh, you don't think you're ever going to be out of power again? Ah, that makes more sense. Not since the Alien and Sedition Acts has one political party in Congress sought to bend the power of the federal government on partisan lines towards crushing political opposition to this extent. H.R. 1 is not merely a bad idea. It's a scandal. You can read that at nationalreview.com. I've got links to it at the Pete page, thepetecalendarshow.com. Remember to subscribe while you're there. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 